0: You're listening to KPLY Pali Radio. I'm Michaela Fogarty. You know that paranoid feeling when you're in a group and you look around thinking, nobody wants me here? Imagine picking up the morning paper and reading articles written by your own neighbors declaring that you don't belong, that they really don't want you there. That was the experience of the Bailey family in 1954. Here's Larry Bailey
1: nineteen fifty four was when federal legislation to desegregate uh, uh, education occurred, and so it was at a time very similar to the period now where there's a lot of uh, a lot going on. My mom and dad were able to purchase a new home uh, in East Palo Alto. I recall my dad telling me there were very few places where African-Americans uh, could purchase a new home. East Palo Alto, there were, they were building new homes. The home that my mom and dad bought in 1954 was a segregated section uh, of East Palo Alto. It was the East Palo Alto Gardens. Although there was, you know, they, no one was breaking the law, there was a gentleman's agreement between the white residents to let this so-called board review whoever was purchasing a home to see if they were acceptable candidates for, you know, to join the community. If they were acceptable as far as race, I presume. I mean, that's typically what those unwritten uh, agreements are. From conversations years later with my dad, he asked the investor not to say anything until it was signed, sealed, and delivered. In other words, until the ink was dry, and and so on and so forth.
0: As you might expect, people expressed strong opinions on the Bailey family and their presence in the neighborhood.
1: At that time, uh, the East Palo Alto and and the state their association, they raised money to buy us out. So whatever my mom and dad put down as the deposit, At that time, you know, uh, a thousand or or whatever amount of money, I think they raised maybe $3,500 to to buy us out with a little amount extra.
0: According to the daily Palo Alto Times, neighborhood residents actually raised $3,750 to buy them out, but the Baileys would not budge.
1: I recall asking my dad, you know, why didn't you take the money? And he goes, I wouldn't have been able to buy a home anywhere in Northern California.
0: In the 1950s and 1960s, realtors would not sell houses to black families because it would immediately decrease the value of the entire neighborhood and prevent them from making any other sales in the area. According to the Daily Palo Alto Times from 1954, A subdivider knows that if he sells a tract home to one Negro, he has to sell to all of them. And once a tract is open to Negroes, the developer knows he can't sell any of the homes to whites. The white families just won't buy homes there. After their plan to buy out the Baileys fell through, East Palo Alto Gardens residents resorted to less diplomatic strategies. Someone even threw a hammer at their kitchen window, although the thrower missed and hit a shutter instead. In response to the hammer, Larry's mom told the Times, We don't bother anyone, and I don't see why anybody should bother us. However, not everyone was opposed to the Baileys. The Palo Alto Gardens president did stand up for the Baileys. He is quoted by the Daily Palo Alto Times, saying he would... Never condone any form of racial intolerance in the subdivision. However, he was ousted soon after and was replaced by a man with far less progressive views. On the issue of the Baileys living in a white neighborhood, his successor said, I have a feeling that at the present time, we may not be ready for this thing. In the future, segregation will end. At its present, the view of most people is that they do prefer segregation. While there was a plethora of negative op-eds published in the Times, there were also many op-eds published in the very same paper that defended the Baileys. One resident said that negative responses to the Baileys were… Creating just a sort of material that communist propagandists pounce upon to prove that liberty and justice for all do not exist in the United States. Despite the political drama surrounding his family, Mr. Bailey remembers a relatively normal childhood.
1: I know when we first moved into the house in 1954, we were the only ones. So, for the first several years, uh, we only played in our yard. I mean, there were no other kids to play with. So, we didn't start playing with other kids until other African Americans started moving into the neighborhood. I, I know there were white kids next door to us on either side, and, and um, we didn't play with any of those kids.
0: While Larry was growing up, his parents worked hard to support his family of six.
1: My mom worked part-time, my mom ironed clothes for families, professors. Stanford professors who lived off of uh, Page Mill Road and whatnot. And uh, my dad was laid off. I-, I presume, this is my presumption, he was laid off to appease the, uh, the whites visually. But my dad's worked various odd jobs to keep from losing uh, the home. So he was no longer employed by them, but he started doing miscellaneous janitorial miscellaneous work.
0: After finishing middle school in East Palo Alto, Mr. Bailey moved in with his older brother in Palo Alto so he could attend Pali.
1: Over in East Palo Alto, I was above average student. When I came to Pali, I was just average. I, I like Pali. Uh, I never experienced any repression or, or there was never an issue. I, I, I loved it. It was the best decision I ever made was switching schools. Had a Jewish girlfriend, believe it or not, at, at Pali, but we never walked around holding hands. You know, we, we never publicly displayed. You know, we just walked next to each other. Few people knew that we dated. It was you know, at a time when you know you had a lot of lot going on in, in society. You had the, uh, the peace and freedom movement, the Black Power movement, Malcolm X. You had the war against Vietnam. You just had you know it was it was, was kind of like that unwritten you know black-white relationship. We were aware of what was going on
0: after Pally. Mr. Bailey went to University of the Pacific and was then drafted to the National Football League by the Atlanta Falcons.
1: You know, my attorney was aware that I had a Jewish girlfriend. Ironically, he was also Jewish. He said, Larry, you're, you're getting drafted by a Southern team. They're not going to like the fact that your girlfriend is, is white. So, we made the decision that she wouldn't come with me to, to Atlanta, Georgia, while I was playing. So when, when I went to any club events, you know, I just went by myself. Well, she didn't come to Atlanta, Georgia, but when we played the Rams and and the uh, 49ers, I mean, our families would be in the lobby and and we, we sat at the same general location. But, once again, we didn't embrace or anything like that because we were out publicly. So we just kept a low profile. I mean, there were more interracial couples in California. I don't recall seeing any interracial couples in, in Atlanta, Georgia, or in the South. I've always been in an integrated environment. And then, you know, my rookie season, we trained in Greenville, South Carolina. And I remember they had a a Confederates' Day parade, and it's all about the Confederacy and and the South and and, and everything related to to the Confederacy and what it stood for. My second year, my girlfriend and I, we drove to Atlanta, Georgia. Once we got in 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 those southern states, we only stopped to get gas. We didn't hang around. We only stopped in brightly lit places and don't want to hang out. We drove through and got in and got out. You know, you didn't want to be out in the middle of nowhere in a small community where you stick out like a sore thumb. I remember my dad asked, you know, when I was driving back, he asked me if I wanted to take one of his guns. And I said, no, if I need a gun, I'm already in trouble. And I said, if I can't talk myself out of it, I'm already in trouble. So no, I don't want a gun. I don't like guns. No, no, no. In in the US, there were things going on, like the Martin Luther King movement, then you had the Black Power Movement. You, know, you had Malcolm X. These are all events that were occurring. You had the Vietnam War that was occurring. You had, uh, you had uh, Muhammad Ali who said, you know, I'm not gonna fight a war. I haven't done anything and had standing up for, for, for rights. The neighborhood that uh, we currently live in is the neighborhood that I I was born in, so I'm glad to be affiliated with living here in Palo Alto, in the neighborhood that uh, uh, I was born in. You know, this being in this area is, is, is nice because you're exposed to different things.
0: Learning history through a local lens allows us to better understand the formation of an inclusive society.
1: We have the benefit of having Seeing history, now you can connect the dots.